So I'm talking about uh, the beauty and the beast today, the beauty being Jesus Christ and the beast being uh, the Antichrist that is spoken of in the Bible. Listen to these words as we talk about the tribulation time. It's seven years in the Bible where prophecy, a number of places, has shown us one day will be the greatest time of suffering and terror in all of human history, these seven years called the tribulation. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21. For then, and this is after the rapture, there'll be a great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. So Jesus prophesied this, and Jesus spoke of this as well. The tribulation, you may say, well, um, how much of that is really in the Bible? It's mentioned 49 times at least by the Hebrew prophets in the Old Testament. So 49 mentions of the, of the tribulation. And, and the tribulation is seven years. The last three and a half years are the great tribulation. And, and then it's mentioned 15 times in the New Testament. So it's worthy of a discussion and God wants us to know about it or he wouldn't have put it in there that many times. So here's my first point today coming from the book of Revelation. Soon after the rapture of the believers, which I spoke of last week, if you didn't get to hear that sermon, I encourage you to go to the pod, podcast or you can just get it streaming on your computer. Soon after the rapture of the believers, the tribulation will begin. Now, I, I want to just say right up front, believers in Jesus Christ do not go through the tribulation. There'll be people who become believers during the tribulation, but they didn't know Christ because all the believers are snatched away. And there are some who say, well, how can we be sure? Because there's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all these doctrines. And let me just give you a few things on that. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, when the Bible talks about the wrath, uh, most often it's talking about uh, this tribulation time that is so intense with all the judgments that are coming down. So here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God not, did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so this is saying we're not going through this time of wrath. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Without encouragement... <clears throat> See, since it was 49 times in the Old Testament, and, and, and now we have these 15 times, that encouragement is supposed to include, we don't have to go through this, and we can encourage ourselves about that. Praise the Lord. But it also motivates us because we don't want others to go through this, what we're talking about, so we want them to find the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says this, and it says, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So how do we know that the saints are going to be before this great tribulation and the wrath? We see it there. But we also see in Revelation uh, all the way up to, to chapter 3. Remember it talks about the, the churches and uh, the church here on this earth all the way through chapter 3. And in chapter 4 when John is, is taken to heaven and he has this vision, we never hear about the church again from Revelation 4 all the way to chapter 19, which means... We're not in there. And it actually mentions, you can see it in 1 Thessalonians 3.13, that the saints will be coming back with Jesus. So how can we be here and then be coming back with him at the same time? So these are, these are ways that we can see this. And, and let me just point out, I, I'll just give you a quick synopsis here um, about the judgments that are mentioned. And, and we see them 
uh, those that are called the seal judgments are in Revelation 6. And I'm gonna uh, just give you a, a brief explanation of these in a moment. But then there's the trumpet judgments that happen. So there's judgments that are handed down during Revelation after the church is raptured. And then there's the vile judgments. And one of the things we see about uh, the, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments is five of the, uh, uh, most of that is done by man. I mean, they're natural disasters, but man is, you know, Jesus and the church are gone. And, and so sin is rampant. And there's these first years of this tribulation, there's, there's just massive, massive trouble and then we see in that, the, the, the last seven, the vile judgments in Revelation 16, that these are judgments of God. And uh, now we see that God is meeting out the judgment when it comes to the vile judgments. But let me summarize this for you, you know, because I'm trying to do all these chapters in one setting. Rather than go through each one of those judgments, let me give you a summary of what it will look like during the great tribulation time and the tribulation. There'll be multiple wars. This is on the screen for you. Multiple wars where over half the world's population is killed. The massive martyrdom will take place of believers in Jesus Christ because they, they get saved, some of them, in that, in that period of time. Earthquakes that are the worst the world has ever seen, eventually leveling all cities. It shouldn't say all. That should say uh, major cities and, and, and most of the cities. Uh, boils will be on the unbeliever in an amazing way that causes tremendous pain. Uh, vast meteors that bring uh, incredible damage and ruin the world's water supply and its fish will take place. Famine and disease that is rampant where people will be killed. Inflation, where there's a day's pay that will only pay for a loaf of bread, and that's all across the world, and that'll include this nation as well. Darkness descends in the day. Uh, the locust of Apollonon, or Apollyon, rather, attack as an angel unlocks, now I, I don't, you know, is this real? Or I'm just telling you what it says here in the passage. It says that these creatures will be released by one of the angels of God from the bottomless pit. And out of the pit belches smoke and locusts with scorpion-like power to sting and torment unbelievers for five months. These are all things that are mentioned here in Revelation. Their sting is never fatal, but just miserable on those unbelievers. The sun scorches men with great heat. The Euphrates River dries up and that river separates great armies from one another through the ages and kept war from happening. Well, it will set the stage for the final battle of Armageddon. Now, all that said, I just want to encourage you not to go through the tribulation time, all right? And, and let me tell you your ticket out of this. Your ticket is to know Jesus Christ and follow Jesus Christ. And I want to mention, as bad as that is, I'll be talking about heaven and hell and the, the, the millennium reign and, 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 and the new earth next week. Those are things that are mentioned at the end of Revelation. But let me tell you that hell will be even worse than this. This is just the great tribulation time. And all I can tell you, I know we don't hear this preached much, but here's the deal. It's in the Bible. It's just in the Bible. Judgment, wrath, it's still part of the love of God. Listen, the Bible tells us that God is love and in America, the church has decided to take judgment, justice, and wrath away from God because they don't want that to be. That's the church, not the world. And it's the church because we've listened to the world. But God is love and he is just and he will meet out wrath someday. So whatever our definition of love is, we don't have it right. 
Because justice is part of love. People that have hurt and wounded and damaged others and spit in the face of God. He's long-suffering and he's patient and he wants to reach them. And we'll see that even in the tribulation time where these things are driving people to, to Jesus and they can still find him. He doesn't want any to perish. But these things are true. They're just true. The only way you can say they're not is if you say this isn't true. And then you can do whatever you want, right? You make God in your own image and funny, the graven image will look a lot like you when you're done and what you want and what you think. And, and so let's look at what the word says and let's look at what he says for the end times and let's receive it. If you believe the Bible, and I do, it's the inerrant word of God. It's his love letter to us. It's a warning of love today from God that comes from his word. You say, why would you, why would you even speak of all those terrible things? It's so yucky. It reminds me of a Barry Manilow song. I feel yucky. You know, that's just Barry Manilow in a nutshell. And, and this just makes you feel yucky, right? Well, here's a couple reasons that a pastor would bring it. It's in the Bible. And it causes people to get serious about their faith and their witness. That's why God wants it shared. That's why he put this revelation that he gave to John in his holy word. And pastors must preach the whole counsel of God. We can't skip the hard parts. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no revelation, it's talking about leadership here, and where, where leaders don't give revelation, the people cast off restraint. And so we must know about these things so that we're alert and we're watching and we're careful and we're reaching out to others with the love of God that they might not be lost. And I want to remind you again, no believer has to go through all this terrible judgment that happens uh, in, in this time in history. And yet while this period is primarily a time of wrath and judgment, it's also a very strong time of God's suffering, or rather God's mercy and grace being poured out during this suffering. You say, how so? Well, um, Remember that these people in the tribulation time are not innocent. Let's just go there for a moment. They're not innocent men and women. They're those who've rebelled against God. They've rejected God and his offer of salvation. They've been greedy and they've run towards every type of vile sin known to man. And despite their gross sin, God still intends these tribulation saints to have a chance where they might turn away from their wickedness to faith in him and be saved for eternity. These judgments, especially um, the seal and the trumpet judgments, th th those first 14, they're driving people to Christ. And you say, how does, how does that happen? In times of prosperity, do we really look to God and thank him? Or is that the times that we really start to forget about him? If really, it's times we start. But look at September 11th. What happened? Suddenly a nation that wasn't thinking about God started thinking about it. I'm not saying that's judgment. I don't know what that was. I know it was wicked people doing some terrible things. But look at wars and what happens during wars. People turn to God in times of distress like this more than any other time in history. And because these people didn't turn, he gives them a chance. As these things start to happen, the Bible says they start to say, this is coming from God. And he gives them a witness. And I'll share about that in... in um, in just a moment about how, how he, um, he gives a witness so, so that people can turn through, uh, through his two witnesses and the 144,000 that he leaves here on the earth uh, to, or, or, or here on the earth come to Christ, the Jews, and share about him. But here's what um, Tim LaHaye said. And by the way, 
in your notes, at the end of your notes, I have three books. If you want to study more about the end times and prophecy and these things I speak of, there's three books that I recommend. Any one of them would be great to read. The one I recommend the most is this one, and I, I'm taking a lot of stuff from him today, so I'm just going to say Tim LaHaye, you know, uh, gets a shout out today in a major way uh, because he's done some great study on this, but I, I studied in 20 or 30 books, to be honest with you, but, but this book, Tim LaHaye, written by Jerry Jenkins, we, are we rather living in the end times? Here's a quote he has there. Horrible as these judgments will be, I urge you to see them as final warnings from a loving God who is not willing that any should perish. He's still trying to bring people to him in the, in, in the tribulation time. So where are you with this word of salvation? Where are you to make sure that you don't go through this time and that you're not lost for eternity? What are you holding on to that's keeping you from coming to a loving God who just wants to bless your life and keep you from terrible things? I um, read a story about a little girl who stuck her hand in an expensive vase and uh, they couldn't get it out and they tried with uh, everything they could and to no result. So eventually they got something and they broke the vase and they recognized that her hand was clenched like a fist. That's why it wouldn't come out and when she opened it, a penny fell out and her dad said to her, honey, why didn't you open your hand? She said, I I thought I would lose the penny. Whatever you're holding on to, it's not nearly worth what God has for you. Eternal bliss in heaven, a place where there's no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. The best life here and blessing forevermore. What's stopping you? Is it a boyfriend or a girlfriend who doesn't know the Lord and you're sleeping with them? Listen, that's, that's, that's not going to work out for you anyway. I mean, you're going to have trouble if you'll save yourselves and honor one another and bless me. Is it, is it the pursuit of things and money so you can build up and store up things in your barn and say, I have stuff for my grandkids who may never get it because this may happen? I mean, wh- where are we? What is stopping us from being sold out? Whatever it is, drop the penny. Drop it and let's get serious about what the Lord has because today's the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this, indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. It's not only these things. The Bible tells us that life is a vapor. Could be here today and gone tomorrow. I read this week about a guy who was mowing his lawn and and, and a, a sharp object came out and pierced his heart and he died mowing his lawn. I mean, we, we don't know when our ticket is up Regardless of where this is, and we need to make sure that we're right with God. We need to make sure that our priorities are, are to make sure that our family is right with God. So we get them to the youth group and we get them to children's church because they hear about Jesus Christ and we get ourselves in fellowship with the church and we start to work and we make sure that we're doing the right things so we can be ready when our time comes or when the Lord comes. Second thought today. At the beginning of tr- the tribulation, the Antichrist or the beast will come on the scene. Revelation 13, 5, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words. This is a man given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. That's the first three and a half years. <clears throat> he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. 
Now, I believe that there's going to be a great economic collapse that will bring the Antichrist into power. And I want to give you a thought. Where is America in prophecy and history? We can't find us in the Bible, right? And let me tell you why I think that is. How much do you think our nation will be affected when all the saints are raptured out of this place? How much will Europe be affected? Probably not a whole lot. I mean, there are believers there for sure, but not nearly in the droves, in the, in, in the hundreds of millions like here. Our leadership structure, our businesses are filled with men and women of God. And in a moment, people will be snatched from our government because the rapture takes place. They'll be snatched from the, their seats of power as believers and gone and our nation will have an economic collapse. And we'll be looking to others to help us. That's why I think we don't show up because after the rapture takes place, we don't have much power anymore. Too many of the saints of God have been pulled away and it's affected us incredibly. Brazil will be infected, or affected rather, incredibly. Many of the African nations have hundreds of millions of believers. There'll be some that are affected, but Iran and Iraq, they won't, they won't hardly be affected. Some of these nations will try to seize power and they'll circle and there'll be a, a group of people that come together to try to help the world who's going through, that is going through economic collapse. Listen to this. This is the first president of the United Nations, Paul Henry Spake. And, and see, what I'm saying is, this is when the opportunity for the Antichrist and this, this one world government where, where they'll be trying to hold each other up and, and I believe they'll start to come together. And this creates this vacuum for, and power is needed. And listen to what this man said in 1957, the first president of the United Nations. We do not want another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all the people and to lift us up out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. It'll be even worse in those days. Send us such a man and whether he be God or the devil, we will receive him. That's from the President of the United Nations. The Antichrist will come out of the general population. Probably not a person born into power. The Bible says he'll come up out of the sea, and that probably means the sea of humanity, the mass of people. He'll be attractive and charismatic and amazingly gifted. Daniel eleven twenty one shows us the next to come. It's speaking of the Antichrist, another place of prophecy about this. The next to come to power will be a despicable man who is not in line for royal succession. See, he, he didn't have power that he came with. He will slip in when least expected to take over the kingdom by flattery and intrigue. Now let me just do this fast and I've got some references. You can check them later uh, if, if you want or fly through them now. He will be the little horn of the ten horns in Daniel. The ten horns are probably ten governments or ten people of power and governments across the world that come together to rescue us from economic collapse. They're governments. And usually when the Bible says beast anywhere, because it'll say it besides the beast here, it, almost all the time it means government, that it's a government power. And, and that's one of the things that you, you see in the Bible that is a, that, that is a common thing. And, and so he'll be the little horn that's prophesied that will come out of the ten horns. There'll be three of those that will rebel against the Antichrist and he'll strike them down quickly and then the other seven will rally to him and he will be the leader. That's what prophecy tells us. He'll be the one, uh, you see it in Daniel 9.27, who signs the treaty. There's a war and Jerusalem is invaded and and the Israelites are the people of God that are left behind because they don't know Jesus are, are being killed. 
And this man, the Antichrist, will come in and make a treaty that marks the beginning of the time of tribulation. When that treaty is signed, the seven years start. Now, I believe that after the rapture, the great tribulation comes quick because of the economic collapse. But we don't really know that it starts the next day. It starts when this guy signs this treaty. That's when the seven years start. I hope you're not around to recognize that. But that's when it will start according to the Bible. Three and a half years into the treaty, he will break it. And he'll go into the temple of Jerusalem that was, that was torn down. It's been rebuilt. And he'll desecrate the temple by breaking the treaty with the Israelites, the Jews, and the world and declaring, literally declaring himself to be God. He'll mete out devastation and death more than any other man in the world ever has. He'll martyr millions of believers that have come to Christ through the revival, those that did not know Christ. And yes, in the Great Tribulation, there's a, there's a, there's a massive revival, probably the greatest revival ever known to man. The greatest numbers of people that will come to Jesus at one time will be in the Great Tribulation. Some think hundreds of millions, some think over a billion as these judgments start to fall. People start to turn their hearts towards God and God sends the two witnesses back and, and there's, these are the ones that are eventually killed but they're raised from the dead after three and a half days. Some of the prophets, I'm sorry if I'm going so fast but I gotta move, I gotta move fast. Some think that it's Elijah and Moses. We don't really know who it is but that's a lot of these scholars think it's Elijah and Moses that are sent down and this, this beast has no power over them. They can do great miracles and, and they'll be preaching against him and preaching the word of God and potentially hundreds of millions will come to Christ that didn't know him. And then it says that we have these 144,000 Jews that will believe. And they'll start to share it everywhere across the earth. And because of those two entities, the two witnesses, as well as the 144,000 Jews that are converted who start to witness, there'll be a revival and, and millions will come to him. A massive number. We see it in Revelation 7-9. After this... I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb of God. They were wearing white robes. Now, here they are. These are the ones that were in the great tribulation time. They're wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And they say it again, salvation comes from our God. And these are the tribulation saints. Most of them, if not all of them, will be martyred. Even after they come because the, the beast, the Antichrist, will put them down. And you say, well, why, why you know, why, I don't have to do it now. Why don't I just wait to accept Jesus? Because it's, it's going to be kind of a, a bummer seven years. I mean, it's going to be pretty bad. But, but it's not just that. The Bible says that God is going to send a strong delusion where some people can't believe. I can't guarantee you because there's going to be a strong delusion that comes from God that you will have a chance to know. I couldn't guarantee that for you. You may not get a chance because Second Thessalonians says it. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. God sends a delusion. And so that they will be condemned who have not believed the truth and have delighted, those who have delighted in wickedness. For this reason, you may not be able to accept Christ during that time. Do it now. Today is the day of salvation. Third, the beast will eventually have control of the earth. And this for a short time. 
uh, allowed by God, I might add. Revelation 13, 16, he also forced everyone, this is the beast now, the Antichrist, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark. It's the mark of the beast that we've heard about. How many have heard about the mark of the beast? Raise your hand, all right. Oh man, there's a number who haven't. Well, this, this, this will be, hey, a revelation today. Um, he forces everyone small, great, rich, and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has this mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast for it is man's number. His number is 666. I tried to figure out what, you know, we we know it's 666. There's all kinds of thoughts about what that may mean, but the point is you're gonna have a mark and you'll have to receive it. No one can be tricked into this or deceived. You will have a chance to accept Christ and deny the mark of the beast. It won't happen unwittingly to you. Uh, So you don't have to be afraid uh, if you're in that time that that uh, you won't know and you'll be tricked into it because everyone makes their own choice. We see that's clear in the Bible. But, but whatever the mark is, 666, it's received. And without it, no one will be able to buy or sell. Now, now what's that do? You have total control of the world if no one can buy and sell unless you give them permission because they'll soon die. You can barter for a little bit and after that, you're toast. And... It says that if you refuse the mark of the beast, you'll be killed. You see that in Revelation 3.15. All who refuse to worship the image uh, were killed. During this time, the Antichrist takes total control of the world's economy because these 10 people came together, put down three of them. Now the beast is there with the other seven and they start to take total dominion of the earth for this time. There's no greater control than 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 the supply or the flow of money. Let's talk about that for a moment. Um, you know we're moving to a cashless society, right? I mean, for a while, the talk, you know, there's a talk of a one-world government and a one-world order that's been happening for years. You saw in 59, the United Nations were trying to bring this back uh, as that president was speaking or bring it about. And, and now we're skipping uh, the, just, just the um, one-world currency and they want to go right to a cashless society. And we're hearing about these things already. And it makes sense, right? Because we have the credit cards now. And uh, listen, you don't have to be afraid of technology because you're not going to make it go faster or slower if you say, I'm not getting involved in technology because the mark might be in. You, you don't have to worry about that because it's not the technology that's evil. It's just not. But it shows us that we're getting closer to the time. Right? Credit cards, we don't need to carry cash anymore. Not only that, but those will go quickly because the next thing will be your smartphone. All you have to do, all your information will be in there. We're having, now you can go to Starbucks, not use anything but your, right, but your phone. And that'll happen for everything, probably, most likely. And, and, and that's not in the Bible. I'm just saying that. That looks like it's the way it's going. And we can, we can see these things because they're right in front of us. 30 years ago, it sounded like space age talk when my dad would talk about it to me, right? How's this going to happen? Now, technology's right in front of us in that short time. But they want to go to a cashless society, and they've moved from a single world currency to now the one world planners are on this fast track for this cashless society. And it makes sense to go cashless, right? It really does. I mean, it seems like wisdom, and it even spoke of wisdom, that wisdom is needed for this, as it, as it said about the mark of the beast when he takes total control. How is it wisdom? Well, here's why it makes sense. You're not going to rob anybody if all their account is on a machine, right? You, there's no cash to take. 
So it'll end robbery. Wouldn't that make sense? You can talk the whole world into it pretty easily. But not only that, there'd be no counterfeiting. Impossible. And there's billions of dollars counterfeited across the world right now. There'll be no tax cheating. And there's a lot under the table of stuff that happens everywhere. And there'll be no drug trafficking because you can't make that with a the, with the wide open... Um, I mean, this, this will be the argument. It's a good argument, I think. You, you, you can't transfer drugs when it's going into your account. The numbers that were transferred, hundreds of millions, they'll catch you. So it, stu- it just makes a lot of sense. Someone's lost. Uh, they, they could even f- uh, find you, and I'll show you how and just, just here in a moment with this. Let me tell you about the Verachip Corporation. How, how are these things going to happen? Here's some interesting things. Verachip is the manufacturer or Verachip Corporation of a device that contains every characteristic needed by the Antichrist to carry out the fulfillment of Revelation 13, this prophecy. Uh, This Verachip is currently the size of a grain of rice. And look on the screen. The Verachip itself is a glass, remember it's the size of a grain of rice, glass encapsulated radio frequency identification microchip designed to be implanted in the human body and remain permanently embedded under the skin. When the chip, which contains a personal ID number, comes within range of a scanner, radio signals are emitted, thereby identifying the individual and accessing his or her records with which your financial stuff could be attached. Now, these implants have been used uh, in tracking and identifying animals so far, but recently they've been injecting these things into humans, these, this little device into humans. And Verachip, it's on the screen again for you, a corporation has recommended marketing its human version of the product for use in a number of ways. Like an auto debit payment device. As a means of controlling admittance to a secure area and as a method of accessing personal medical information. Now, I don't want to blow you away, but, but even with America's new healthcare system, this is being talked about to be implanted in those who are involved in the healthcare system. It's just, I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. Um, Jay McDonald wrote this in MSN's article on creditcards.com. He says, it's a simple concept, concept, really. This is not a believer. You inject a miniature radio frequency identifier the size of a grain of rice between your thumb and your forefinger. So it'd be right here, the, the place that it could be injected. <clears throat> and with a wave of your hand, you can unlock doors, Turn on lights, start your car, or pay for your drinks at an ultra-chic night spot. The problem is, the whole concept is a little geeky for most of us, nauseating for some, Orwellian for a few, and even apocalyptic for a smattering of religious fundamentalists. And that was Jay McDonald on creditcards.com talking about this technology that I just spoke to you about. What might surprise you as well is, is this Quote from Joe Biden in 2005 at the confirmation hearing of Supreme Court Justice John Roberts. Joe Biden said, can a microscopic tag be implanted into a person's body to track his every movement? There's an actual discussion about that. You, Judge Roberts, will rule on that. Mark my words, before your tenure is over. It's just interesting that that these things are happening in our time. And... I just want you to know that, that what will happen is then, then it won't be your phone. Everything you do, you can scan with, with your hand with this technology. And can you see how world control could be taken? Because if you don't have this chip, you can't buy anything. 
And, and I, I'm not saying that's it, but something like that could be it. And we can see now that it, we don't have to think about the technology that will come. I'm telling you today, it's sobering. All the technology needed for this to happen, we currently have. It's here. And so, that's, that's interesting to think about. It could happen in our time. I'm telling you, the more I studied this, the more serious I got about my faith and what we're doing here at Horizon. Because I believe that the time is short and Jesus is coming soon. Well, after all of this in the Great Tribulation, where the beast starts to kill people who won't receive the mark, where he has domination and control, Jesus shows up to put an end to all the wickedness. Now, we see Jesus, the fourth point today, Jesus will come and bring God's wrath on all who've defied God. I debated, should I put that in my point? And I thought, well, it's in the Bible a bunch. So maybe I'll just put the word wrath in there. Because that's what the Bible says. He's patient and long-suffering, not wanting any to perish, but he wants all to be saved. But Revelation shows us that someday the wicked who've defied him and who've refused and who've run towards every kind of evil, someday his judgment will fall, even though he wants all to come to him. Revelation 16, 7, it says, And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. He is the judge, you know. He's the righteous judge. You say, well, Christians shouldn't judge. You can't say God shouldn't judge because he will. He's God. And God will bring judgment because he's a God of justice too. And love includes justice. Revelation 19, 11 Listen to this. I saw heaven. Here he comes, standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. Here he comes. With justice, he judges and makes war. This is the New Testament. I'm just telling you. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And when it's fine linen, white and clean, we see it earlier that that's the saints. that get a, They get a white robe because they, it, it symbolizes purity and that they're gods and he's taken them as his own. We're there when he comes back. This is after the rapture and he comes down to the earth. Verse 15, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword which, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. You know, if you look in every version, if they're just true, it's really close to the fury of the, the interpretation, the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. I want to say that again. The fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. It's Bible. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all the people free and slaves, small and great. Then I saw the beast, so here's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armors, armies rather, gathering together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. Satan rallies his troops. 
But the beast was captured. And with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second coming. The rapture is not the second coming. I mentioned that last week because he doesn't come back to the earth. He's in the clouds and he calls us to him. The second coming is when Jesus, right, comes back, sets his foot down on Mount Olivet, it says in some places in the Bible, and here he is come to set things right. During his first coming, Jesus arrived pretty humbly, didn't he, in a manger. He came to serve and he came to give his life and many people misunderstood because he didn't force his power on anyone because he came in love to give us all a chance and to win us with his love. But predominantly in this world, he was despised and rejected. And in that day, he was mocked and physically abused and eventually killed as he surrendered his life. People didn't realize in those days that it was God's plan that this happened. I want to tell you that when Jesus died on that cross, his last words were, it is finished. And what it meant was all power to forgive by the grace that he brought as the, as the wrath of God fell on him so it wouldn't have to fall on us. He said it's finished and any person who would come could now come because of the grace of God offered through Jesus Christ. And when he said he was finished, he meant that even this last thing that would all happen, it's just all gonna happen this way. It was done that day. There are still people who think that he died and they got him. Nobody got him. He didn't spill his blood, that's an accident. He shed his blood, that's willing and deliberate. He laid down his life. He became the sacrifice, the ransom. He paid the price for our sins. Yes, he came humbly the first time. Now we see him coming in the clouds the second time. Now we see the beauty of his majesty as he arrives in those clouds in that white stallion. On that white horse, his eyes are blazing, his head on it are many crowns and there we see the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he's truly God. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and we will see that he was never, ever weak but he had all power in his hands and the reason he gave his life was you and me and all of our friends and loved ones and neighbors and co-workers who don't know him. He wants us to come. He gave his life that we might be saved. He is not weak. He is powerful. There is no greater power in this world. No authority that's greater than the authority of Jesus. He's had it in his hands all the time, the ability to do this. And someday, someday he'll arrive and all the world will see his power. So where are you? Where are you at with all this, with your personal life in Jesus Christ? I think we can get distracted. Here's how we get distracted. We can get distracted with good things and miss the best things. We can get distracted about our kids' education. I'm for good education. But sometimes when those things consume us and keep us from eternal things, they're temporal. We can get distracted with getting enough money and having enough retirement. Like the man who filled his barns with stuff and then he died and it was said of him in the Bible, you fool, tonight your soul is required of thee. Never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. We can go through life just making our way, maybe just enjoying a lot of good TV. Maybe just enjoying a lot of just great video games. 
And I'm for entertainment too. I mean, that's fine to, to do some of these things. But if we do all these things that are swirling out here and we miss this eternal perspective, we're messed up. There's so much on the line. We have to have an eternal perspective. That's for the saints. And if you don't know the Lord, it makes me think of the flight attendant. Have you heard it before? I've heard something like this. Stewardess, flight attendant takes the intercom and you hear her say, our destined today is Denver. And if that's not your destination, I suggest that you get off this plane immediately. Where are you headed? If it's the wrong way, and it's not really where you want to go, I suggest that you get off that track immediately and start focusing on this eternal perspective.